This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Good morning, church. You guys are wide awake. Everybody's happy to be here. So glad that you've come to church today. I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited about what God is doing in our church and what He's doing in our lives. Uh, We started this series called Simple Church just a few weeks back where we've actually been outlining the purpose of the church. And what we're finding is that when we go back to Scripture and we see what God has to say about things, sometimes we can find that what we've made very complicated, God has outlined for us actually very simple. And we're going to continue in that today and we're going to talk about abandonment. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. We're going to talk about what that really means today and how it fits in this idea of embracing simple church. You can also follow along on your iPad or your phone if you have the Uversion app as well. You can go and look for a live event and you can follow along with the notes there uh, today. If you've got your Bible, go to the book of Luke chapter 5. We're going to see a scenario where Jesus was really made amazing and awesome and where the disciples actually recognized him for who he was and recognized how awesome that he truly is. As we're going to Luke 5, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for everyone here. I would just ask that you would just grip our hearts this morning. I ask you that you would just help us to just be completely amazed and in awe of who you are. Help us to see that through your word today as your Holy Spirit reveals it to our hearts today. Let us grab a hold of it and trust you and be willing to abandon, Lord, everything for the sake of the gospel. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1 says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So here's Jesus, and he's been speaking the word of God to people, and they're getting really close to him, and the crowd's growing in number, so they've got to adjust. They've got to do something about that. And he saw two boats that were standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them. They were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. The reason that he did that is because Jesus was using the acoustics from the water to be able to carry his voice so more people could hear what he had to say. And so that's what's happening here. He sat down, he taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4, then he stopped speaking and he said to Simon, said, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, he said, master, uh, we've toiled all night and we haven't caught anything, but nevertheless, your word, I'll let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets started breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, come on out and help them. And they came, they filled both the boats, so they both began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish with which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you'll catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all, and they followed him. I think this is really an interesting scenario here that Simon Peter finds himself in, because here's Simon Peter, 
who is a professional fisherman, all right? This guy has understood the different lakes and the different areas where he can catch the most fish because he is a commercial fisherman. This is how he puts food on the table for his family as he goes and catches these fish, takes them to the market, and ends up selling them and making a lot of money. And so here is Simon, and they haven't had a good day, bad fishing day, all right? Simon knows this. He's sharp. He understands the water. He understands the different temperatures and the different uh, conditions that need to be met in order to catch the most fish. And it just wasn't that day. I mean, you know when it's just one of those days where it's just not happening. This was that day. So let's take the opportunity to, instead of going out there and trying to catch some more fish and wasting our time, let's do a little maintenance work, all right? We're kind of in our downtime. So let's, uh, let's work on our nets a little bit, all right? Let's clean up the nets. Let's uh, make sure that, you know, all the debris is out of them. Let's make sure that there's, you know, strong rope and make sure everything is, you know, really strong and sturdy. And so that's what they were doing. They were doing some maintenance work because it was not the time to go fishing. And here's Jesus. He comes up and he says, Let's go out into the deep and throw your nets out. And Simon Peter says, um, hang on a second, Jesus. I mean, I'm a professional here, okay? Um, I'm a professional fisherman, and, and it's not really the time for that, okay? I mean, we're actually washing our nets, and we're actually doing some maintenance work because that's a better use of our time. But then he said, but nevertheless, I'll do what you want me to do. And he trusted Jesus because he knows something about Jesus. He knows that when Jesus speaks, things change. And so as he was trusting in the words of Jesus, he was going, okay, something, something's going to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I can't foretell exactly what's going to come, but something's going to happen if he's telling me to do this. So I'm going to trust in that fact that Jesus is speaking, and I know that he makes things happen where things seem to not be happening. So I'm going to trust in him. And then... They cast out into the deeper waters, they throw their nets out, and they get the biggest load of fish they've ever gotten. They got so many fish that it was completely unexpected. Simon Peter is taken just way back, and he goes, whoa, oh man, uh, we got to do something. Uh, uh, hey, hey, guys, 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 get the other boat. Get the other boat. Let's bring it out here. Come on. Get the other boat. Uh, we got a ton of fish here. We don't know what in the world to do with these things. And so here they go. They're paddling out there as fast as they can. They're getting out there as fast as they can. And they get their net. And so they say, all right, we'll help you. And they go and they grab their nets. And then their nets fill. And then they begin to fill up the boat. I mean, this boat is just full of fish everywhere. I mean, fish are like all in like your man robe. And fish are like all up in your turban. And fish are like all swimming in your beard and stuff. And there's fish everywhere there's so many fish in this boat that this boat starts to sink biggest catch of our lives this is insane and you would think everybody would be automatically thinking oh man we're gonna make a mint off of this can't wait to get back to market because i'll be able to buy that new luxury camel we've been eyeing i'm gonna be able to go and buy all of the things i've been looking at getting oh man look at this payload we're gonna have but that's not the response that they got that's not how they responded. Actually, Simon Peter drops down to his knees and he grabs a hold of Jesus. And he said, you need to get away from me. I'm not worthy to be around you. What? What an odd thing to say in that moment. What an odd thing to say when you've caught your biggest catch you've ever caught in your life. Your boat's sinking and you drop down to your knees. And then you say, get away from me? That doesn't make sense, does it? 
Jesus, get away from me. That's what Simon Peter said. Verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus reaches down, puts his hand on Peter's shoulder, and he says, don't be afraid. Actually, I want you to go and be fishers of men. And then they get to the shore, and then something really crazy happens. Verse 11 they forsook all, and they followed him. They forsook all, and they followed him. They abandoned everything, and they followed him. You see, what happened here is that something transcended the idea of getting a big catch, of getting the mother load, per se. Wow, what a great catch this day. What an amazing catch we've gotten. That wasn't what they were amazed with. They were amazed with the fact that Jesus was showing himself to truly be awesome, to truly be holy. And it rocked these men to the core. And Peter didn't know what else to do other than say, get away from me. He didn't know what to do with it because he knew he was in the presence of someone that was awesome, that was holy. And he said, oh, you got to get away from me because I'm sinful. I'm a mess, okay? I've got issues in my life. I am tainted. I am a mess. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus reaches down to Peter and he says, don't be afraid. I'm actually calling you to be a fisher of men. You see, it wasn't the fish that impressed Peter. It was Jesus who impressed Peter. It was Jesus that rocked Peter's world, not the load of fish that he caught. Because Peter knew about fishing. He's a pro, remember? This is what he's done for years. His dad before him did it. This is their family trade. These guys know fish. And they've never seen this amount of fish come in. But who Jesus was outweighed the weight of the fish that were caught that day. The majesty and the awesomeness of realizing and recognizing who Jesus was in that moment outweighed the fish they caught. And it caused Peter to react the way he did because it confronted Peter with the fact that he was a sinful man. And that caused him to drop down to his knees. And he was afraid because he didn't know what was going to happen next. He just knew he was in the presence of someone that was great. He knew he was in the presence of someone that he was in awe of. He knew that when Jesus spoke, things changed. But in this moment, he realized not only was he speaking, but now I'm seeing who he is. Just like you and I, we can hear about Jesus all of our lives. We can hear all these wonderful stories about who Jesus is. But then there's that moment where you wake up and you actually realize who he is. And then all of a sudden, my relationship with Jesus doesn't become this thing that it has to be all of these strings attached and all these conditions that he has to meet for me. It just becomes about how awesome he is, and it confronts me with who I am. And it causes me to hit my knees, and it causes me to repent, and it causes me to reach out to him. And he reaches down to me and says, don't be afraid. Now let me give you some instruction. Let me give you some instruction and purpose in your life and immediately he changes Peter's purpose from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men and then he begins to awaken with this purpose not because someone taught him that he needed to have a greater purpose than fishing 
not because someone told him that he needed to try harder to do better, but because the reality of who Christ was in that moment gripped his heart and confronted him with who he was. And he realized that he needed to change. You see, the miracle of Jesus made Peter feel powerless in his efforts through his strength and skill. Because Peter was a very skilled fisherman. But in this moment, it wasn't about Peter's skill. Hey, Peter, your skills mean jack when Jesus is in the boat. Right? Because it's like, here's me and all of my prowess, me and all of my skills, me and all of, all of my, my navigating the waters and understanding how everything works. And Jesus steps in and says, cast out to the deep. Peter says, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work, but okay, yeah, let's go. And then he catches the biggest load he'd ever caught. His boat started sinking. Started freaking out. Brought his buddies. Their boat started sinking. Because Jesus was showing Peter, listen, I am greater than your skill. You need to depend on me. You know, just like when you and I in our lives, we'll try to do things in our own strength and we'll try to, you know, I got this, God. I don't need you. I'm going to figure this out. And we begin to exalt our ways of thinking above God's ways of thinking. We begin to live our lives not depending on God, but depending on how sharp and how smart we are. And then all of a sudden things start not working out for us and things start, you, you know, falling apart in different areas in our lives. And we finally get to this point where we have nothing left and we go, Jesus, I've tried everything. I need you. And he's like, duh. <laughs> he's like, you've needed me all along. You've been operating out of your own strength, and when you operate out of your own strength, you get your own results. When you depend on Christ and His voice and His leading and His guiding and His strength, then He makes things happen you can't make happen on your own, even in circumstances that seem impossible. Because when Jesus speaks, things change. And here's the thing. It's the greatness of God. It's the greatness of God that positions your heart to hear His voice. And that's what Peter was confronted with that day in the boat. He wasn't confronted with this awesome miracle of a lot of fish. He was confronted with, he's in front of someone that is great. And it wrecked his heart. It wrecked his heart. And it positioned his heart to be able to hear his voice. And we know that he heard the voice of Jesus. We know that he responded to the voice of Jesus because Jesus said... I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they forsook all and followed him. I don't know if that means they did like a catch and release thing with all those fish. I don't know if that means that they just left all those fish on the shore just to rot. I don't know what they did. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the Bible does say that when they got back to the shore, they left it all. They left it all. Wait, wait a minute. They left the biggest payday of their life because Jesus spoke. Yes, because when you're confronted with who Jesus is and you become in awe of Him, you will forsake and abandon everything for His glory, for His purpose, for His kingdom, to listen to what His voice is saying to you. It's not because somebody told me to. Jesus said, okay, boys, we need to have a meeting. Come here. Now, I know you guys like fishing, but I was just wondering, I mean, if it's not that big of a deal for you and you can kind of work it in your schedule, I was thinking we could be fishers of men. And I mean, I know this is a lot of fish, but how about we leave them all here and we go and do some really cool stuff that's actually going to matter, that's actually going to be more important than any fishing trip you've ever been on. So what do you say? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't have to convince them. He didn't try to give them some type of incentive to come and follow him. He just said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They said, okay. Why did they say okay? Because they were confronted with the awesomeness of Christ. 
And I think that in our day and age that we get so accustomed and so patterned to our walk with Christ just being some type of compartmentalized thing where we just, you know, I, I cut out a sliver of my day for Jesus. I put him in my, my day timer. You know, this is my Jesus time. Or I come to church on the weekend. This is my Jesus time. And then we're not really in awe of him. We're just more interested in the fish. We're just more interested in God's incentive program as we view it in our own eyes. We think that, you know what, Jesus, I'll tell you what, I was really impressed with you at one point in my life, but you know, you really haven't been doing it for me lately, so why don't, I'm just going to stand here and go, okay, let's see if you can impress me this week, Jesus. That's how we treat him. We treat the Son of God as if he were in some type of lowly position to convince me and impress me and give me some type of incentive that would make me want to choose to follow him. I'll go, what? okay, I'll tell you what, that's a pretty good deal, Jesus. I'll take you up on that deal. Actually, Jesus did the opposite with his disciples. He said, people are going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. That's a terrible incentive program. (laughs) People are going to hate you and it's going to be my fault. He said, no, actually, he said, I want you guys to be aware of what you're getting into, but what you're getting into is to glorify me, and it's going to fulfill the purpose in which I've created you for, and it's going to do something in you and through you that you never could have done on your own. If you want to have your results, then you can do it in your own strength, but your strength and your your results are small, minuscule in comparison to what I want to do through you and in you and for you. And when I realize he's great, then it just confronts me with who I am. And I go, wow, I'm ready to listen. You know what I'm saying? When you get to that place in life where you're ready to listen, you know what I'm talking about when you've been dealing with somebody. We call them hard-headed. Don't look at nobody. (laughs) You've been dealing with somebody that's hard-headed, and you've been speaking the truth to them over and over again, but they haven't been hearing it or receiving it because they're not ready to hear it. They haven't been confronted with the truth yet, even though you have told them over and over, they haven't faced themselves. Well, here in this moment, Peter got faced with himself, and he realized, I'm a sinful man. And so when he caught a bunch of fish with Jesus in the boat, he says, Jesus, you've got to get away from me. Depart from me. I'm sinful. He got confronted with who he was because of the glory of God that was in front of him, because he recognized Jesus for who he was. It was like he'd been walking and talking with Jesus this whole time. He heard Jesus teach over and over again. This wasn't anything new for him to be hanging out with Jesus. What changed in that moment? He was confronted with who Jesus was. And he saw Jesus for who he really was. He saw the truth for what it really was, and it wrecked Peter. And then when Jesus said, I want you to come and make fishers of men, I want you to come and follow me, it was a no-brainer at that point. Because all the strings that I had attached to my relationship with Jesus, all the conditions that I wanted him to meet in order for me to follow him were now removed because he was that awesome. And I realized he was that awesome. You and I put conditions on Christ. We put conditions on the church family. We put conditions on his word. And we like to say, oh, I will commit as long as all of the things that I want are met. And so I'm chasing after all of my conditions to be met in order for me to follow. So if you give me enough incentive to be a part, I'll be a part. So I'll follow because all my conditions are being met. So in other words, as long as you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And that's how we look at God. That's how we approach Jesus. And it's a very selfish way. And Jesus said, I want you to deny self. I want you to abandon self. I want you to even leave the riches that you thought that you were going to get through all of this fish behind because what I have to offer and who I am is so much greater than anything you could have gained just because 
you had me in the boat with you in that moment. He said, no, I'm greater than what I can do for you. It's not what he can do for me that is so great, it's who he is. And when I am just completely in awe of that, it changes everything. So here's the deal. We are called to make disciples. But until we are in awe of Him, and until we recognize our need for Him, how will we ever hear His voice and be able to forsake all and follow Him? We can say all the right things all day long. We can say we're called to make disciples. That's what Simple Church is all about. It's about hearing the voice of Jesus saying, go and make disciples. And we can know it's the right thing to do, and we can hear it, and we can try it in our own strength, and we can chase fads, and we can chase programs, and chase things that we think are, are, are going to do what we want it to do. But unless it's the voice of Jesus leading us, and guiding us, and directing us, it's us operating in our own strength. And we're just trying to make something happen that hasn't really gripped our hearts yet, because we haven't really seen Him for who He is. Because a disciple-making church is in awe of Jesus. Oh, I'm going to say that slow so I can say some more. A disciple-making church is in awe of Jesus. And God has called us to be a disciple-making church. That's what Jesus said to us in Matthew 28 and verse 19. He said, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go out and try to build my body. Don't go out and try to build my church. He said, matter of fact, he said, the Lord's going to build the church. They that labor, labor in vain. He said, so if you're trying to make this thing called church all about you, he said, that's vanity and selfishness and it's not going to work out. He said, but if you go into all the world and make disciples, I'm going to build my church. He said, the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand against it either. He said, listen, it's your job, it's your commission as my disciples to go out and make disciples. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. But we could just take that as instruction, and we've heard that our whole lives. Oh, we're supposed to be making disciples. If you've been in church long, you've probably heard something about making disciples. I know that I grew up in the church world, and I've heard this my whole life, and I've heard great sermons preached on the Great Commission. And I've heard preachers slobber and sweat and spit and throw rags and stuff at you, telling you, screaming at you, we're to be about the Great Commission, winning souls and making disciples. Ah, I've heard that my whole life. And we've heard it, and we know that it's right, and we know that it's true. Well, then why is it not happening in churches all over our country, all over our world? Why do we miss the point? Because we make things all about us, and we're not being in awe of Jesus. Because the disciple-making church is in awe, not of what he's going to do, not of the incentive that he gives, not of the things that he can do for me, not of the fish, but of him. We've spent way too much time focusing on the fish that we want him to put in our boats instead of focusing on him and letting him wreck us and change our hearts. Because when we're confronted with who He is, it wrecks your heart. You can tell somebody over and over again to try harder, to do better, and it doesn't work because you're trying to operate in your own strength. God has to grip the heart. He has to get to your heart to where you finally wake up and realize how great His love is, how awesome He is. I could tell you, try harder to be more humble. How would you know when you got there? 
Try harder to be more humble. I think I've gotten there. Wow, I'm really good at being humble. (laughs) How do you know when you've made it? I need to go to a class to learn how to be better at humility. It doesn't work. Why? Because humility is a heart issue. And I can't deal with your heart. Only God can. I can't teach you humility practices. Breathe in. Breathe out. Don't you feel more humble? Don't say yes, because then you're wrong. (laughs) The answer is always no. That wouldn't work. Why wouldn't it work? Because we're trying to be more humble in our own strength. Only when we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted with who we are, and we realize, wow, I really need Jesus, and He really is the answer, and His love really does transcend where I'm at. Then I realize, wow, I am in awe of who you are, and I'm confronted with who I am. And it's the gospel that keeps my heart in awe of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. It's the gospel that keeps my heart in awe of Jesus. You see, you can't preach awe. You can't teach awe in five steps. It's just a reality that has to grip your heart. And it's just us that have to remind ourselves that we're dead apart from Jesus. And that we never stop needing Jesus, no matter how good, how religious, how pious that I seem to others. No matter how many times that I've been baptized, taken communion, attended church, recited my prayers, that apart from Jesus, I am a wretched and damned sinner that is deserving of hell because I've shaken my fist and rejected God. That's who I am apart from Christ. I'm dead. I'm empty. I'm hopeless because I can't find hope in and of myself. Amen, somebody. I can't find hope in myself. I have to find hope somewhere else because I fail. I mess up. I drop the ball. I make mistakes. I have issues. I have pain. I have all these things that I deal with. How in the world could I be my own savior? I can't. And when I come to the realization of that, when I come to the reality of that, and I realize that I have to put all of my dependency in Christ and Christ alone because He's where my hope comes from. He is my source of hope. That His love has overwhelmed me. That He would love me and accept me right where I'm at in the middle of my turmoil, in the middle of my shame, in the middle of my brokenness. That He would confront me with my sin and love me and say, I'm your answer. Don't be afraid. Come follow me. We're going to go be fishers of men. That's the kind of Jesus that needs to confront your heart and confront my heart that we need to be reminded of through the gospel that keeps my heart in awe of Jesus. That I'm reminded that it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. That I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Why? Because I'm good? No, because he's good. And when I realize that, that puts me in awe of Jesus. I drop down to my knees like Peter, and I don't even care about the fish anymore because I've been confronted with who I am and who he is, and it wrecks my heart. And then he speaks to me and says, come follow me. And then my heart is in a position to be able to abandon all. Because you can hear that kind of stuff all your life, just like I have. 
Ever heard messages about Matthew 6 and 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And it's true. And it's right. But just because I hear it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And I can try to do it and I'm not even sure if I'm doing it sometimes because I'm not even sure what that looks like sometimes. But when I'm confronted with who Christ is and I'm in awe of Him, it's not even necessarily a command that I'm striving to obey. It's something that I just do because I'm in awe of Him. Jesus didn't have to make a sales pitch when they were confronted with who He was. He didn't have to say, okay, boys, here's the contract. Want to follow me? I've got a great health plan, great retirement, 401k right there. Come and follow me. It's all going to work out just fine. No, he didn't give them any guarantee. He didn't give them any type of retirement. He didn't give them any type of incentive that would sweeten the pot. He just showed them who he was, and that was enough to make them want to follow him and leave the giant catch behind. Is that not just absolutely crazy? Does that not just blow your mind? It blows my mind, and it makes me think, when, when in my life have I been confronted with the reality of who Christ is and the reality of who I am, and I see the contrast, and I see the need for Him in my life? Because Christ really can't be special to us unless we understand we need Him. If we just think that he's kind of like our tag-along, our little buddy that just kind of helps us out occasionally when we hit a bump in the road, that he's AAA, and that's how we look at him. We look at Jesus as roadside assistance. We look at him as plan B. When our strength fails, no, he said, I've all you've ever, I'm all you've ever had. I know you think you're a professional fisherman. I know you think you're good at what you do. I think you know uh, that, that, that you you're probably feel pretty smart and you feel like you're a professional Christian. But let me tell you something. All your skills don't mean anything when you're wrecked with the reality of Jesus. When you're wrecked with the reality and confronted with the reality of who he is. You see, that gospel keeps my heart in awe of Jesus. You don't abandon everything because somebody told you to. You abandon everything because you're in awe of Jesus. Because you recognize that you're completely dependent upon him. It's like, I must have you, Jesus. Or nothing's going to work. I need you every day. I want to ask you, do, do you recognize that you need Jesus? Because he's calling us and commissioning us to make disciples. But until that reality of Christ grips our heart, making disciples as a church and moving forward with this idea of a simple church that's adhering to the basic things that Christ threw out at us that we all need to align and link arms and hearts together, it's just going to be something that we say. And it's not going to be something that has gripped our hearts because we're not really hearing what Jesus said when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. We're not really hearing what Jesus said when he said, go and be fishers of men. We're not really hearing the heart of what he said because we haven't allowed ourselves to accept the reality of who he is and who I am and how much I need him. That's where we have to be. That's where we need to get to the place where we're confronted with that, where we hear the gospel for, who, for what it truly is. We recognize him for who he truly is. Because word of grace is called to make disciples. Word of grace is called to make disciples. And if 
this local church body that has been planted here in this town for such a time as this has been called to therefore go into all the world and make disciples. If this church, this local church family has been called to invest in relationship, invest in others, and to be the body of Christ, to be a church family here in the Sheboygan area, and to do what God has called us to do, we must understand that we are to be about the Father's business of making disciples, of being fishers of men, but we've got to be in awe of him. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning, church? Because discipleship is going to happen best in the context of relationships. And that's why we've been preaching about vision and, and family and intentionally investing in others. And we're going to structure everything that we do here at Word of Grace around making disciples through relationships. Not because somebody told us to. Not because it's the latest and greatest cool church fad or the latest and greatest church program. But because we're in awe of Jesus and we heard his voice calling when he called us to be fishers of men and to go in the world and make disciples. I've been in church my whole life, and I have seen all kinds of really corny, goofy church fads come and go. I have seen things that were just for a season, that I believe were of God, that just, they were just a season for the body of Christ. And those things come and those things go. But the thing that never changes is the deep, deep call of God where he said to the disciples to go and make disciples. Disciples making disciples in the context of relationship, in the context of loving God, loving people, serving the world. That he said, go and be fishers of men, not because of what you get out of the deal, but because you're in awe of who I am. That's effective disciple making. That's the heartbeat, I believe, of God for us as a church. A disciple is someone who is continually growing in their, in their awe of the love of God. It's like we're, we're faced with the love of God and it's just like too awesome for us to even understand completely and fully receive completely because we're limited by our human reasoning and our human thought process. And we just go, I don't know, there's some people in life that I don't really care for that much. But you love me even when I've spat in your face. You've loved me even when I have tried to run away from your love. You've loved me in the middle of my addiction, in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my turmoil, in the middle of my anger, in the middle of my bitterness and my unforgiveness, in the middle of all of my weird little quirks and insecurities. You've loved me right in the middle of all that. And he says, yes. And he reaches down and says, don't be afraid. I still love you. I still want you. I still love you. You're confronted with that love of God. And you want to know what the love of God is? The love of God is Jesus Christ. Simple. The love of God is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was someone that walked about the earth and talked and, and, and touched people and loved on people. He spoke the truth. He, he would chastise people occasionally. He would correct them in love. He would face them and confront them with themselves at various times and places but yet he never quit on them he never gave up on them matter of fact he died for them he died for you he died for me he showed us the love of God made manifest so when we say love God love people and serve the world when we say love God we mean grow in awe of who Jesus is and how he loves because if I grow in that awe of his love and who he is then it is going to just naturally just ooze out of me this love for people. And I'm going to grow in that love for people. 
And that love for people is going to cause me to give and to serve and to die to myself. You see, it will drive our sense of family. It will drive our sense of community or common unity. It's that sense of community that calls us together as a church family to abandon everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then this, this is when we understand this idea of church is not somewhere we go, but it's who we are. We are the body of Christ every day, not just on Sunday, not just when we come together here in this building, that it is who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are called to invest. We are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are in awe of him, and we are called to be fishers of men and go and make disciples. Amen, somebody. And it's not about me. When we say abandonment, I'm not telling you to go out and quit your job. Don't you go quit your job because I says, I'm, I ain't, don't put that on me. You jokers are crazy if you do that. You quit your job if God told you to, but that's not on me. That's between you and him. So hear me clearly. I'm not telling you to leave your occupation. I'm saying that abandonment is us dying to ourselves. Dying to selfishness. That we're dying to all of the things that we think we have to have in order to follow Jesus. In other words, we're taking all the limits and all the conditions off of what it means to follow Jesus because we're just in awe of who he is. Not the fish. Not the great catch that we had. We'll leave the great catch on the shore because he said to come and follow him. That's me dying to myself. That's me understanding that this body of Christ, that this thing we call church, that this relationship we have with him is not about me. It's about him. My life is given for me to bring glory to him. Any benefit that I receive in this life through my obedience or through my sacrifice or through different periods in life where I, I, I may be blessed with different things that may be material or, or, or even the things that I'm blessed with physically. Those things are a fringe benefit from the result, from the main purpose, which is for my life to bring glory to Him. My personal gain is not the end goal. Understand it's not about what I get out of the deal. It's actually about me dying to myself. It's about me forsaking all to follow him because I'm so in awe of who he is. But how many of us would have been in awe of the payload of fish that day that were caught? How many of us would try to go out that same day in our greed with more boats? We would have been calling all of our friends who had boats. We would have been calling all of our friends who had buckets. Hey, you got a five-gallon bucket? Come on, meet me over there. There's some fish, boy. We're going to catch us some fish. Somebody would have capitalized on that opportunity and written a book called A Thousand and One Ways to Cook Fish because there would be so many fish. Somebody would have taken advantage of that. I mean, I mean we would have been savvy in this because we're, 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 we're opportunists and we're looking at how we can benefit from the deal. I wonder how many of us would have been willing to leave that payload behind. Our buddy would have like grabbed us by the arm and said, come on, we're following Jesus. Yeah, but, but fish, I mean, would we have been so captivated by him that we wouldn't have even turned our head to look back at the pile of fish in the boat that we just caught? That we wouldn't want to capitalize on the opportunity to go back and catch more fish? I mean, we're thinking, Jesus, if you could make this happen like once a month, that's all we would have to work. 
I mean, come on, Jesus, this is a good deal. I'll serve you, you get the fish. I'll sell the fish, I'll give you a little bit of profit. Say 10% sounds good. <laughs> we laugh, but that's how we look at our relationship with God. God bless me, I'll give you a little bit. Say 10%. Give me what I really want, what I'm really in this thing for. I don't know, it just kind of really messes me up. <laughs> because I'm thinking about the selfishness that I have in my own life. And I'm thinking about the selfishness that even we have tendencies to lean towards as a church. And we can be very selfish and make church all about us. We can make it very conditional. We can make it something that's based off of my level of happiness or my level of comfort. We can make this thing called church all about us and not about making disciples. We can make it all about making me happy. And if all my conditions aren't met, well, then it's not really worth the investment or the time. We don't think about abandoning our selfishness and dying to self for the sake of winning souls, making disciples, and advancing the kingdom of God and seeking that first because we're not in awe of Jesus. We're in awe of what we think He can get us. And I think my fear here is in our American church culture, we've made church and Christianity all about ourselves and nothing about Christ because sometimes we're more interested in the benefits of Jesus than we are just interested in Jesus. Would we have left the fish? The benefits just to follow him? Because if that miracle happened today, I know somebody would have written a book and they would have called it Your Best Catch Now and it would outline steps of how if we trust Jesus that our mother load is coming in. And we want to can all of those miracles of Jesus so we can have those benefits in our lives because we chase the benefits instead of chasing the master. We want to serve him for what he can do for us instead of serving him because of who he is. You see, when I'm confronted with who he is, just like Peter, I drop down to my knees. Isn't that the craziest thing? I mean, it's like when I read that the other day in preparation for this message, that was the first time I ever really caught that. That when... Here's Peter, the biggest catch of his life. And he wasn't even planning on going out. And we're all like in awe of the fish. Look at how many fish. Oh, it's great. And Peter falls down to his knees and says, get away from me. Would we fall down on our knees and say, get away from me, Jesus? Because I recognize, whoa, I recognize who you are in this moment. I have, I'm sinful. I'm sinful. Get away from me. I'm sinful. And Jesus reaches down and he says, don't be afraid because of your sin. Don't be afraid because of your weakness. Don't be afraid because of your issues. I want you to come and follow me. We're going to go catch some people. We're going to go save some souls. We're going to go out and proclaim the gospel. I want you to actually be a fisher of men. So go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Peter heard what he said because he was in awe of Jesus. And because he heard what he said, it enabled him to abandon the selfishness, to abandon the way he could have benefited from that big pile of fish, to abandon his greed, to abandon his fear of, oh, how are we going to provide for our family? And there's the fish right there. Uh, it, that wasn't even a concern. There was no banter back and forth between Jesus. There was no negotiating between Peter and Jesus whether or not this made sense. It was complete total abandonment because he was confronted with the awesomeness of Christ. Abandonment for Christ 
is the overflow of the affection that is from Christ. The thing that will cause you to abandon everything in order to follow Jesus and to be about his business of making disciples and being a fisher of men and the thing that God is calling Word of Grace to do to be fishers of men and the thing that God is calling you and I to do to be this church family that intentionally invests and makes disciples and structures everything we do as a church around that. And that be, that, that's our purpose. That's our focus to love God and to love people and to serve the world and that we just die to ourselves to make that happen. And it doesn't become about me anymore. That flows from that affection that I have, that I've received from Christ, that passion that I had that would be willing to serve Him. Because we can very easily make everything all about us, all about what I want, all about what I like. It's not about my conditions being met. It's am I called? Did I hear his voice speak to me when I recognized him for who he was? Did he say to me, go and be fishers of men. Go and make disciples. Forsake everything and come and follow me. If I heard that voice, that's why I follow. That's why I commit. That's why you need to be a part of this church family, because you heard his voice. Not because you like the benefits, but because you heard his voice. So have you heard his voice? Has he spoken to you? Has he called you to be a part of this church family that's going to be about the Father's business of winning souls, making disciples? That's going to be about the Father's business of being fishers of men? that's going to constantly be reminding ourselves as a church family, as a body of Christ here, as this local body, what we're all about. We're constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel so we can remind ourselves of how great he is and how weak I am apart from him and that I have to have him. That no matter how good my strategies are, no matter how sharp I may appear, no matter how smart I may try to convince you that I am. Notice I said that I may try to convince you that I am. If I try to convince you I've got all the answers, it's not going to work because I'm trying to lead or I'm trying to convince you or trying to win you in my own strength. No, you've got to be confronted with Jesus. Right here in this moment, I believe some people are being confronted in their hearts with the reality of who Jesus is. And it causes you to want to just buckle in your chair and fall down to your knees and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you right here in this moment because I realize I'm sinful and I'm dead apart from you. And I have to have you because you are the only one who makes all things new. Wherever you say to go, I'll go. Whatever you say to do, I'll do. Because my affection, my awe is towards you. The affection from Christ is the love that is shown to others through you and me, through us growing as disciples, through us serving selflessly, through us dedicating our lives to be a conduit of his love, of his mercy, of his grace, of his compassion. That's what the body does. The body of Christ does what the head commands it to do. He's the head. 
We are the body. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We're in awe of him. And our love for him is going to move us to grow as we focus on making disciples. As we grow as disciples in loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And what we're going to do as a church family is we're going to structure everything that we do around those values. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about some strategy and things that the Lord's put on my heart that is structured around those values. Don't ever get married to a structure or a way of doing things because ways of doing things change and they need to be led and guided and directed by the Lord. But the heartbeat always stays the same and that's making disciples. Amen? Amen. So we're going to talk about where we're going as a church over the next few weeks, what God is doing and I'm trying to lay the foundation for you of the idea of us being a church family and us understanding the need to invest in relationships, invest in one another, and we ourselves needing to be invested in. And then today, understanding that none of it's going to work if we operate in our own strength because we are to be abandoning ourselves, abandoning our selfishness, abandoning our pride, abandoning our idea of the way that we think everything has to be and go all the time. And we're saying, not my will, God, but your will. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you because I can hear your voice and I don't care about this pile of fish. I just want you, Jesus. I just want Jesus, folks. That's all I want. I just want Jesus. That's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to do. Just talk about the greatness of Jesus because I've come to a place in my life where I'm in awe of Him. I remember younger in ministry... I was more in awe of what other people were doing for Jesus. I was more interested in the fish. I remember that I would look at different pastors and ministers and preachers, and I would go, wow, look at what they're doing. Look at all the fish. That's cool. Look at all this fish. I want fish too. Maybe if I do what they did, I'll go and get fish like they got fish. Imagine all those people that saw all those fish in those men's boats. How many people do you think went out to that same hole after those guys were gone? Let's see, we'll see if any's left. Because they weren't interested in following Jesus. They weren't in awe of Jesus. They wanted to go see if any fish were left. Oh man, apparently there had been just some kind of crazy amount of fish. No, that was just because Jesus spoke and things changed. That wasn't because that was the hot spot to go fishing because Peter had already been out there why I was mending his nets. That's why I was washing those things, getting them ready for a better day, because this was a terrible fishing day. How many people went out there and wanted to see how many fish were left? And I did that as a pastor. I, I go look at other people, look at people that are doing, you know, really, really impacting things, as it seems. And, and you go out there and you're man, I, I, I want to go out there and, and learn how they do what they do. And And there's some merit to some of those things like that, but you can't try to reproduce what someone else has done and what God has used them to do. You have to follow what God told you to do. And if you follow someone else, you're going to be operating in your own strength because you're not going to get there the same way that they got there if there is even where you need to be. You ever thought about, maybe I should abandon my selfishness maybe i should abandon my desire for whatever grandiose thing that i have formulated in my mind that i call ministry that i chase after no gotta abandon that i can't find my worth in that can't find my 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 value in that find my value in jesus because he's wrecked me 
because he showed me how awesome he is and who he is. And he told me and whispered in my ear in Matthew 28 and verse 19 to go into all the world and make disciples. He told me to go and be a fisher of men. And he's told you to go into all the world and make disciples. And he's told you to go out and be a fisher of men. And we're going to do it because we're in awe of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your head? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.